Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. When it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Are you tired of prediction shows? Do you want to fantasy book the companies? Does Bigfoot even really exist? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then check out the podcast that isn't a podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, the standing streamer stands and delivers as he and Vanessa talk about all that's going on in pro wrestling today. Plus, see in-depth conversations with people in and around the wrestling world as guests share their stories and insights about making it in the business. The Putting You Over Podcast. Putting your weeknights over every Tuesday and Thursday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. My name is Thomas and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah. yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was... Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we right? shared a room. Thought I knew your face. Yeah, we so go we... way back, mate. Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do. We do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books. We're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also, check us out on Twitter at the Broadcast. That's B R O. Okay, yeah, hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Two Heels and a Face Wrestling Podcast believes wrestling is a buffet. There's something there for everyone. These guys cover local Chicago indie scene, and all of their episodes can be found at twoheelsandaface.com. The number two heelsandaface.com Hey everyone, my name is referee Tony S and this is Heat, the wrestling podcast. Like you first and foremost, I'm a wrestling fan and for nearly two decades I've maintained law and order inside the squared circle in New England and throughout the country, working with some of the best and brightest from wrestling's past, present, and future. Now, I bring my authoritative tell-it-like-it-is style to the podcast world. Join me each week as we go through all the major headlines from the global companies, independents, and in-between. And most importantly, the women will receive the coverage and headlines they truly deserve as they'll empower the second half of the show. Plus, I'll introduce you to my friends and colleagues within all forms of wrestling and entertainment, answer your questions, anything goes, no holds, well, questions barred, and throw in some fun surprises along the way. Get ready for the spark that fuels the flame. You think you know me. Alright, welcome to another episode of the Front Row Material Brand. My name is Mike Freeland, soon to be joined by my good friend, Christopher Budd. He is from the North. So many things happening in the world of wrestling. He having a show in two weeks. I got bit in the face by a brown recluse spider. We're going to go into that. I am going to go on a hiking 
our expedition for the next three days. Leaving the retreat into the woods. Talk about that as well. Rick Flair signed with AEW since we've uh, been gone for two weeks. What does that mean in the world of wrestling? The Buster has his sentiments on that as well. Jonathan Coachman seems to believe that MJF is going to be the highest paid wrestler in the history of wrestling once his contract expires with AEW. What does that mean? Do we think that's true? The Butzer's going to go into that. All of that and so much more. Please put the drugs down. You make bad decisions when you do that. All right, let me go ahead and bring him in. He is my brother from another mother, man from the north. He's Christopher Butt. What's going on, man? This is it, Mike. Uh, another night hanging out with you. Uh, excited to get back together. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Yes. And yeah, just living the dream. You know, working and getting ready for some holiday markets. I mean, you seem to be quite the busy man. And uh, the, to- the toys that are being made. You sent me some pictures basically telling me uh, how packed your house is right now. So if anyone can have respect for Santa, it's definitely you. You know how much work goes into this, don't you? I do, but he doesn't do the work himself. This is He's true. got little people for it. He's got contracted workers for him, yeah. He's got... How many elves do you think Santa employs? Oh, gotta be a couple hundred, no? At least. At least. And here's the thing that I, I'm, I'm thinking about with, with Santa. They don't make everything. Right? Not everything that they make. No, I'm sure they stop off at Target and buy stuff and all that kind of thing. Because some of that stuff you just really can't make, can you? Well, you, you could, I guess, but you'd need quite a factory. You would need a factory. You're right. Right. Absolutely right. So what's the what's the latest on the new um, project? Not the project, but the next show that's coming up. Uh, next Saturday and Sunday, CFB Kingston at the Thompson Drill Hall. Kingston Military Base. Oh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I believe there's about 100 vendors at this market. Wow. So that's fairly big. Uh, same as when we did the CFB show in April. We're donating 20% of our sales to the Military Veterans Program. Very going nice. to try to give back a little bit. Nice. Uh, yeah, there's, I don't know, about 1,500 toys in my house right now. Finished and another three four hundred and varying stages of finished uh, haven't used a dinner table in about a week and a half that's that's a little full <laughs> of toy cameras right now wow and that's about it life's good nice so the world of wrestling in the last two weeks um is some things i've seen that i've been pretty happy with some things i have seen that i haven't been very happy with Let's let's kind of start off here by uh, talking about a very interesting story with uh, with Jonathan Coachman, and I teased it at the top, talking about how, at least in his opinion, um, he was speaking with what Chris Van Vliet, and he had some very interesting comments about MJF. What was the uh, what was the details of that conversation? Uh, Coachman was a guest on Van Vliet his uh, podcast this week, and yeah, let me pull up the exact quote. Van Vliet gets a lot of really good guests. He does. Um, he And he, he himself is. is a phenomenal interviewer. Um, I've listened to a lot of his stuff, and, and the, the man is, is top-notch, very professional, very kind and courteous. He's been on this show before as well, mm-hmm. so uh, it shows that yeah, he so believes in charity. 
100% and feels bad for the less fortunate. <laughs> so this is Coachman's direct quote. How many guys have the guts a year or two before their contract was up to publicly say to not even think coming to me some with some weak-ass offer before my deal is up because I don't care what's on that piece of shit paper. I'm wow. going to be a free agent. Think about how many guys in the business today have the guts to say that. And then nobody crushes them. I haven't heard anybody say, whoa, he's putting his career in jeopardy. I think he's going to be the highest paid superstar in the history of the business when he becomes a free agent. Wow. It's pretty a pretty big statement. That is and a Coachman's very, a very knowledgeable dude, too. Let's he not get ourselves. I would agree with that. Um, the highest paid. Now, going to have to ask you that question here. Do you think... Uh... You think he is going to become the highest paid ever? I mean that that that's a huge statement to say. Uh, I don't know. Like I love MJF, and I think he's going to make some money. He's getting paid, mm-hmm. but the highest paid ever, like bigger than Stone Cold, The Rock. No, he'll make more than Hogan, but that's just because it's a generational thing. Correct. But, I mean, would he make more than Roman Reigns? I guess he's the closest comparison to now. Roman is making money. He's going to make more than Cena? I don't know, man. Yeah, that's that's hard to say when people say going to be the highest paid because when you think about it, like, let's compare this to other sports. Who's the highest paid hockey player in history? Was it Austin Crosby? Matthews right now. Okay. What is his contract for? Roughly, ballpark. 13.2 for five years. 13 million for five years? Yep. See, now let me ask you, why does it seem like certain sports are so much lower than other sports? TV deals. Yeah. That's what a lot of it is, TV deals. You got to think like uh, soccer. Contracts are ridiculous. But when you're getting 80, 90,000 people to a game, and the TV rights, especially over in Europe, are just ridiculous. We would never fathom them, the numbers that are getting thrown around out there. Uh, what's the guy, Mbappe? Mbappe or somebody, he's a soccer player. He just signed for like a billion dollars. That's insane. Right, so yeah, it's just stuff like that. Like basketball, they get paid huge, but it's also really small rosters. I mean, how many guys are on a basketball team? A dozen? I uh, no, I would say probably more than that. But I, I guess the big thing that I'm I'm realizing here is sports their popularity really depends on I guess the sector of the world that you live in. For example, hockey is always going to be bigger in Canada than it is going to be in the United States. That's just fact. Yep. Um it, you know, I think hockey in Russia will always be bigger than hockey in the United States. It's just the way the culture is. It's just what people have been brought up with, you know. For a lot of people, America is the pastime. But I think that's gotten passed by by the NFL at this point. But you just see contracts that are ridiculous. So, I mean, let's put this into perspective here. Do you think he could make $10 million a year, MJF, if he signed with WWE? 
straight up salary? No. I was going to say. do so. like incentives, no uh, pay-per-view bonuses, merchandising and stuff like that. For sure he could. But not just straight up salary. Yeah, straight up salary. I think when you talk about people like Roman Reigns and you talk about some of the really well-known guys right now in wrestling, you're not looking at double digits as far as millions. Um, let me see if I can pull up this information right here and find out roughly ballpark what people are making in WWE here. Um, let's see. This is in. Where is my source here? Let's see. Okay, so Roman Reigns right now brings in $5 million a year in a salary, in a base salary. And I do believe he's one of the one of the higher paid. Brock Lesnar makes $12 million a year. Um, well, that's a shocker. Cena gets $8.5 million a year. Still? Also, yeah, Cena also gets uh, an additional 500000 per main event appearance. Yeah, he also gets the total of 5% from all of his uh, merchandising as well, which you'd think 5% is not much, but yeah, it, it adds up pretty quickly. Good for him. Triple H gets $3.2 million a year. Obviously, his responsibilities and pressure are huge. So let's let's talk a little bit about this. And this is, by the way, from Sports Kita. So as far as on the books, Brock gets $12 million a year. Roman Reigns drops to $5 million. He is in second place. Next one is going to be Randy Orton, who signed a contract worth $4.5 million a year. Triple H is 3.6. AJ Styles is the next highest at 3.5. The next guy that's still currently on the books for 2023 is Bill Goldberg. He makes 1.6 million. Now, when it comes to women, Becky Lynch is drawing in the most. She has a salary of $3 million a year. Uh, let's see here. Who else? Who else? Okay, so let's now go to some people who probably weren't making as much as we thought. So Kevin Owens pulling in a base salary of $2 million a year, which is still really, really nice. Um, Charlotte Flair, I don't know what she is getting. It says 600000 I find that to be a little hard to believe. It's got to be no higher chance. than that. No chance. Uh, Drew McIntyre, 550000 Bianca Belair, 500000 a year. Um, let's see. Yeah. So those are your main people. And that's as of 2023. There's no way Drew is making half a million. That's what it says. Sports Kita as of 2023. Wow. So we'll that's see. A shock. Yeah. And people in NXT, and I don't think people realize this, but they don't make much money at all in NXT. Aren't they make like 100K? I don't even think they could get that high. Well, so um, let me see if I can pull this up and get you a little bit better information. So it says NXT's average salary is at 80000 for a base. Uh, or the, well, actually, the highest is 70000 The lowest is $40,000. Um, so when you look at that, everyone kind of falls in that same range. So NXT average is 70000 with the lowest person bringing in $40,000. Um, the highest has ever been earned per year there was 150000 a year. So they're not getting... A whole lot of money. They're just not seventy thousand dollars. Not a lot of money. 
it's not a lot of money, especially in in today's economy, the way the United States is with gas prices. And you got to under, understand they also don't have insurance, so they have to they have to have something to carry for themselves. And and I know WWE pays for their travel, but I don't necessarily know if they pay for their rental cars and and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know if they pay for hotels. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I do know they pay trans. But I don't know if they pay anything else other than that. Where AEW picks up the bill for everything. How much is healthcare insurance? It kind of depends. I mean, when you go to the marketplace and you put all your information in, if you put in your profession profession as somebody who is, you know, physically, that's what their job is. It's a physical job. Um, your premiums are going to be much much higher because you're you're higher risk. So it just kind of depends. And then sometimes if they have a spouse, they may be covered under their spouse's insurance as well. So there's where having a spouse and being married in the industry definitely does benefit itself. Now, if you're both in the industry, that's a different game altogether. But so if that's the case, if Roman is making five and Roman is a proven commodity, not to say that MGF isn't necessarily a proven commodity, but on a grand stage, I don't necessarily know if you can say that MJF is at the level of drawing powers Roman Reigns. Would you agree? Well, you're you're right on the money. Uh, MJF, he's he's good, he's great, and he's going to get some money when his contract's up. I can't see him pulling in ten. No way. But in two years' time, you don't know what salary is going to be like. You know what? You're right. We don't. We have no idea what that's going to look like in the in the future. So we're going to have to wait. Especially with WWE now being part of Endeavor, it's a, a whole different thing now. It's it's unknown. We don't know anything. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so that's that's MGF's thought process here. So if MGF, let's say, goes to WWE, which I, they're gonna they're making overtures, I, I guarantee they're going to definitely do that. What do I think he would start out with a base salary? Man, if I had to guess, I would say he would come in between two and three, which means the year AJ Styles's and your Kevin Owens and those type of guys are probably going to be due for an increase if you're going to bring MJF in at that price. Um, interestingly enough, I did not know, uh, mention what Cody Rhodes' salary is. Because Cody Rhodes' salary also is not something that is also uh, well-known as far as public knowledge. So we'll have to wait and find out what's going on with that. Um, Talking about money, Butster, let's talk a little about NXT. NXT has a brand new TV deal, and they are going to be moving back to the CW. So those of you who knew... um, WWE, when they were on UPN, if you remember back in the day when they hit SmackDown, UPN then eventually became CW, which is a Canadian-based television company. So they kind of morphed into that. And now, instead of having SmackDown, they're obviously going to have NXT there now. So NXT is going to be going there. I think it's going to be really, really good. They're getting a really good deal for it as well. When it comes to WWE getting TV deals done... And we still haven't heard anything about AEW, what they're going to do, what's going to be happening here. Um, should that be a, a reason for concern if you're an AEW fan that, hey, WWE is getting deals done with USA Network. They're now having a new home for NXT, which is continuing to grow and prosper. 
I don't know what's happening over here. What's your take on this? Uh, AEW's got a couple of years left. Do they not on their deal? I believe they have a little over a year. Well, a year is not a long time. No, it's um, not. Was there a lot of avenues to go? You mean as far as other networks to air programs? Yeah, like, um, yeah well, like, where would they really go? Well, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, if, if they would not, if they don't stick with TNT and TBS, I don't know where they would go from a network perspective because Fox is not interested. Okay, so that's that, that's number one. Fox is not going to be looking to fill that time slot. In fact, Fox even said the reason why they did not re-up the deal with WWE. Did you hear the reason? No. They had viewers, but it was always in that important 18 to 49 demographic, and they just were not getting a lot of return on investment of the fans um, buying products for the advertisers in that 18 to 49. So you can have 2 million people watching your show, and that's great, but what you really want is the majority of your viewers in that hot market, that hot sector of the 18 to 49. And if you don't have that, then advertisers and companies are probably not going to invest in you. And if they're not going to pay the network ad time, do you think the network's going to keep you around very long, even though you're getting high numbers? I mean, probably not. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned with AEW not having anything announced due to the fact they don't have a lot of avenues to go. So it's kind of foregone conclusion. They're going to go back to Discovery. And it's a year out. And you also don't know what's getting talked about behind the scenes. It hasn't been announced. Right? Because don't forget the big difference with WWE and AEWs. AEWs not a public company. Versus WWE is so you generally hear a little more a publicly traded sorry company so you're going to hear more rumors on that because there's more people they got to talk to and report to versus AEW it's Tony Khan and his people you no know, figuring out with Discovery now obviously we're talking lawyers going back and forth but that's what it is so there'll be less people involved so it's a good chance you're going to hear less rumor and innuendo. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I wouldn't sweat it. Now, if, if the contract is up in two months, 60 days or something, and we haven't heard nothing of an extension, that's an issue. Well, because WWE is now going back to CW, that means that someone is left without a suitor. And that suitor is going to be Billy Corgan in the NWA. Now, as some of you know, Billy Corgan had touted on social media that the NWA was going places, and 2024 was going to be a big year for them because they were getting offers from some major, major networks to air their product. Unfortunately, uh, something happened. So this is uh, one of the bigger stories that's coming out here. E-Wrestling News reported that there was a rumor that was circulating that the National Wrestling Alliance and the CW were apparently going to go ahead and work together. Now, also, there was a subsequent controversy and rumor stating that because of the action that took place at the last month's pay-per-view, uh, that it was not now going to happen. So according to the report by the House of Wrestling, uh, it, fe it featured James Mitchell parting with several women and snorting a white powdery substance which was hinted 
at being cocaine. All of this was on camera. Now, the controversial segment reportedly upset some CW higher-ups and who have since been pushing for NWA programming to only be allowed to air on the CW app instead of the main network as originally was planned. Now, NWA CEO and owner Billy Corgan had dismissed all of this and said that was nothing but a rumor. Now, the NWA and CW have yet to announce any type of streaming deal for their network, and it appears now that it's never going to happen because WWE is now bringing their product to CW starting in 2024. Um, listen, there's a lot of things that happen in wrestling. The one thing I will say is, if you are looking to find a suitor for television, um, you, you probably want to make sure that you're putting on your best product, putting on your best face, making sure everybody's on the same page, everybody's bringing their A game. But you also probably want to make sure that any of your um, segments are in line with the people that you're trying to partner a relationship up with. Am I correct on that? You think? Yeah, well, you think it's a bad image to be portraying your characters doing blow? Like, come on, off. Like, I get you want to be a little bit edgy, but that's not edgy. That's just fooey. Pure yeah. fooey. That's all that is. Come on. Do better. Like, that's just, you just can't do that anymore. They wouldn't have tried to pull that back in. The old ECW days. I don't well, think. it's funny you say that. I had a conversation this afternoon with a, uh, a former ECW star, and he told me, he said, Mike, I'm telling you, if we wouldn't have pulled that in the 90s, that's definitely not going to fly in 2023. So I, I agree 100% with you, but I mean, you can't, whether it's just being politically correct or whatever you want to refer to it as nowadays. The thing is, is that when you're looking to put your product on a platform, that platform wants to know that they can trust you. That platform wants to know that you're not going to do anything that's going to harm or damage their reputation and their business. Pro wrestling is already in that iffy category at times, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's already kind of like, whoa, what are we doing here? And it's a very niche type of form of entertainment. Now, doing any storyline or skit or segment that even remotely hints around about drugs, that, that's going to be, that's a no-brainer. You just, you, you can't have that. I mean, even if it's a great wrestling show, even if it gets great ratings, again, it just is a bad image. Especially when you're talking illegal drugs. This is now, true. Well, now, if it, was, if it say... was marijuana, would have been different. That's what I was going to say. Let's just say he was smoking a joint. Yes. It still would have been poo-pooed on. People wouldn't have liked it, but it wouldn't be this. We probably wouldn't even talk about it. No. Really, or it would be like a two-minute, yeah, it was dumb, no big deal, let's move on. Exactly. But come on, man. Like To go that route when you're you're trying to do the – no, make the image that you're doing blow and whatnot. That's just, just not smart. Just plain and simple, not smart. Nobody's going to take you serious, because like you said, I'm we're CW. I'm putting them on whatever Thursday night, and I have to worry about one of them 
no having that image or once it is on the air even if they're they're doing it more straight lace but it'll still be here. remember at the pay-per-view when you know the sinister minister was pretending to do blow it's just it's it's a bad look you can't do that i guess here's the thing that that even kind of makes me just kind of ask the question let's say you're you're billy corgan and you're sitting down there and you're sitting down with your your creative team right and i understand that maybe billy corgan also much like tony khan gives a certain degree of freedom to the talent that might not necessarily be as prevalent as what people would get in wwe but there has to be someone in the room someone who says hey man i want to do this this segment what do you think it involves cocaine or at least what looks like cocaine and no one in the room said "Mm, we might want to rethink that no one it went into production and and no one listen i am not the most mature man in the world the butster knows this he's known me for years now but i think even he would say in our silliest of moments we would never imply anything that would be, you know, harmful to the network we were on for the longest time, which was MLW. You just don't do stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe this is the reason why the NWA is where they're at right now, because maybe sometimes the decision-making isn't always the best. But where are they going to go? You know, that's a great, I mean, look, there's a lot of streaming out there. They could have their own streaming if they wanted. They really could. Um, I don't know where they would go TV-wise. I really, really don't know. Streaming is all well and good. But if you're somebody like like Corrigan's outfit there, they need some exposure. They need a and lot streaming of Streaming is, is not the answer because people are going to pay for that. Correct. I'm not. If I'm just a casual wrestling fan, you're not going to come across it. No, I'm not. I'm not going to pay the ten bucks or twenty bucks or whatever it is for something I don't know. Right. And it's not to have a, a rabid fan base. This is true. Right. Like I don't know. Like that. If they had a deal to be on CW. Yeah. And they let this happen. They're fools. Well, they, they shot, shot themselves, themselves in the foot. In the foot, absolutely. They did this yeah. to themselves. Self-inflicted wound, 100%. And I mean, that could be the, the I hate to say it, but the kiss of death. Yep. Because literally, how many times has national TV deals come along? For, for heaven's sake, I mean, Impact Wrestling has waited for forever since they were on Spike to try to get back to where they were once again. And they are on Destination America. And I don't know, they're on Access TV now. So mm-hmm. it's like... Billy, you got to know better. You got to know better. Yeah. Um, let's let's move on here. Ric Flair signed with AEW. Um, God. You know, every single time someone says, and you've said this for a long time, Mike, it's going to turn into WCW 2.0. And I said, no, it's not. And I fought it. And I fought it. For the love of all that is holy, I just don't understand. And 
I don't understand for the simple fact that if you got to focus on the future, guys, can't be spending money on on the past. You just can't. And some people will say Booker T will say there's a lot of nostalgia and there's a lot of um, buying power with when it comes to the fans with wanting to buy to see Ric Flair. I think that's just someone who's friends with Rick talking because I don't necessarily see Ric Flair being a person who can pack people into a building. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but what's your take on Ric Flair? Do you see this as being money well spent or just yet another AEW thing they do? Uh, Why? I think just another AEW nostalgia, Tony Khan fanboy fooey. What's he going to do? What's, what is his contract? It's a multi-year contract for what? Just to make cameo appearances every once in a while? Is he going to be a manager? Um, Surely, Christ, he's not wrestling again, is he? Oh, don't know. Because when, when they were saying, you know, Sting's last match is going to be, where did they say it was going to be at? In March, a uh, revolution. And I was like, uh, okay. And then you start going down the list of people that he could wrestle. And you so you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, Darby Allen could be one, right? Um, and then you go back to his TNA days. Could could you put Sting in the ring with Christian Cage? Absolutely. Um, could you put Sting in the in the ring with a Samoa Joe? Absolutely, you could do that. And then you start thinking, well, what else could you do um, with Sting to kind of maybe go back to that nostalgic feel, right? And then you start looking back into the '80s and the Jim Crockett days and and the AWA days and. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, if they're not dead, then they're definitely not physically able to wrestle. And I'm thinking, please don't do a Sting Ric Flair match. Sting at what, 60 or whatever he is, 62, 65, something, whatever. He's still leaps and bounds way ahead of Ric Flair. And I'm not buying the whole Ric Flair was just dehydrated when it came to that match. No. His final He's match. Seventy-five years old, or seventy-two years old, or something. Come yeah, on, it, man. It's, it's, it's bad. bad. I mean, I don't know how are they going to use some. Don't these things? There's a lot of stuff. Or... I mean, if they're paying him, oh, you have no idea how much. As soon as I read that, I poured myself another drink. Yes. I just I don't get it. If he's not making oodles of cash. You know, and because they're they're pushing his energy drink, so that's that's part of the deal, which I didn't know he had an energy drink, but that's fine. I didn't, I didn't know he had energy. No, no, did I. But if they're just using it to to push that, you know, they they each play off each other. He he will put a couple extra butts in seats. I believe that. Now is he going to sell you an extra? 500 tickets or a thousand tickets to tonight's show? No. If it's in Charlotte, yeah, probably if you announce Ric Flair is on the card, he'll sell you an extra thousand seats. I believe he'll it. sell you an extra 1500 seats. Straight up, no issues, maybe even more because he is godlike there. Mm-hmm. But for the love of God, please don't have him wrestle. I don't want to see that. I really don't. I don't understand the value of going this route. 
I don't get it. Yeah, sure. Like I just said, he'll he'll sell you a couple extra seats. In certain markets, he'll sell you a bunch more seats. But as a whole, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Right? He's a great talker. We can all agree on that. And that's if you're gonna keep him, that's where you gotta have him. Microphone in hand, you know, cutting somebody up, throwing out the big woo. That's it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I've been looking through all the documents here, trying to find out like what would he be making, or and they they just haven't said anything. So basically, what the this is the press release I have right here in front of me. It says Tony Khan has announced a multi-year deal with Hall of Famer Nature Boy Ric Flair, who surprised fans in attendance and viewers at home when he uh, surprised Sting on a recent episode of AEW's Dynamite, being a gift from Tony Khan to Sting on his impending retirement. Flair's AEW debut uh, comes on the heels of his longtime friend Sting, again announcing retirement at 2024 Revolution. Uh, Khan also said that Fl- uh, Flair, who has an energy drink, so it's called Flair's Woo Energy, will become the exclusive energy drink of AEW. During AEW shows, uh, selected host venues will carry the energy drink at concession stands uh, for people to purchase as well. In addition, the beverage will be stocked in wrestlers' locker rooms and will also be seen on the announcers' desks on live telecasts. Fans watching at home can experience Woo Energy Drink by going to WooEnergy.com. Um, evidently, the, the contract goes through Sting retiring. So Sting's done in March. That is what Revolution is supposed to be. Now, with that being said, his contract is for, I believe, two years. So that's clearly going to be going on past that. Now, is he going to be an ambassador? What is he going to do? I don't know. But the one thing I will say, the positive thing about this is, to see Tony Schiavone, Ric Flair, on TNT with Sting, even if it was just one more time, is pretty amazing. You you have to admit, that was actually kind of cool. Well, that was amazing. No doubt. Yeah. I loved seeing that. <clears throat> but just where do you go? What's your forward? What's the ending? That's the thing. I don't know where you're going. I don't know. Again, like I said before, you know, I have nothing against Tony Khan. Nothing against Tony Khan as a person. I think he's a very kind individual who has good intentions. And I just am not really sure if I understand the logic behind let's bring somebody else in here. And you got a lot of people on the roster already who are not getting enough airtime, right? So why are you now going to give more airtime to somebody else who's not going to be long-term for the product? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I sound silly. I don't know. I don't well, know. As much as I hate agreeing with you, you got this one right. Thank you. Well, I tell you what. I appreciate the compliments. I take them where I can get them as well. Um, let's go ahead and let's talk about one more thing before we go to our front row referee segment, which I'm very excited about going into here. Um, when it comes to Crown Jewel, I don't know if you got a chance to catch Crown Jewel. Did you get to see that? No, I've seen highlights of one match, and that's it. I will say this. Crown Jewel is is a spectacle. It very much so is. And evidently, the payment they got for that, depending on who you want to believe, 
is in the ballpark of $50 million. Now, they say that's the equivalent of about four WrestleManias. Really good paying WrestleManias. Wow. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But what I will say is, I don't necessarily feel like it delivers in the showing aspect of it. Does that make sense? I, do, I don't feel like it delivers and it's kind of bothersome because a lot of people really enjoyed the Logan Paul match, which I think Logan Paul has taken to wrestling like a duck to water. He really has. But outside of that, I feel like it's kind of the same shtick, you know, wash, rinse and repeat. Um, for these shows, now obviously uh, Prince, and I'm not even sure who it is, the crown prince, he has a little nostalgia in him as well, and obviously he's flipping the bill. You definitely think he's got some input on what happens on these cards? For sure. If I'm giving you 50 mil, I'm telling you exactly what the card is. For, for that much money, yep. I'm I'm the booker man tonight. <laughs> can you can you I, I can't even fathom the fact that that someone has the resources to spend 50 million a year, twice a year, every year for a 10 year contract. So 20 shows just for pro wrestling. How ridiculous is that? I can't, I can I'd never fathom it. I'd love to be that guy. What would be Wish the first, thing, what would be the first thing you would buy if you had $50 million? Like it was ready to roll. What would you, what would you do? Big ass pickup truck. Because, well, I'm a redneck, let's be honest. Oh, jeez. And I'm filling up the box of it, the pan with whiskey. Wow. Yep. Wow. I'm a simple man, Mike. Well, no, I respect that. So so you would say a brand new car? I want, no, brand new pickup. I, I don't know what I would do, to be honest with you. I, I think I would be in shock for a long time that I even had the money. And I'd be nervous probably to spend any of it. I would just be nervous, like... No, I'd I'd go buy myself a one ton Chevy Silverado. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Loaded every option. And then I'd get them to make me a couple options just so I had it and nobody else did. And a custom paint job, the color nobody else has. Because I could. Because I have fifty million dollars. What <laughs> what would your paint job be? Oh, I'd probably blue or something it wouldn't be anything fancy but it'd be a blue nobody else has okay i respect that oh it wouldn't be flashy we're not talking flames and skulls and no no no, no. not my, that's not my style you know better than that yes this is very true i get very... my logo painted on the side there you go your logo for your company that would be fantastic you know what i i see you being i really see you being a uh a walter Mathau from grumpy old men in the years to come. I, that's that's how I see you. I really do. If you ask my wife, she'd say I'm already there. <laughs> God love her. I love her, love her, love her. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the headlines that have caught our attention here as far as the world of wrestling goes. There is so many things that are going on out there right now. But not time for that. Let's go ahead and let's jump into our brand new segment of Front Row Material. It's called Front Row Referee where we go ahead and we bring in today's referees that are working all over the country in all different promotions. And what's their take on the world of wrestling? What's their thoughts? How do they get into refereeing? All of that. So, Butster, let me ask you this question. 
Nick Patrick comes to mind. Earl Hebner comes to mind. There's a lot of referees that people have been very familiar with when it comes to the world of pro wrestling, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. Because I think Earl Hebner is probably the guy. Yeah. Everybody knows him. Everybody remembers him. Albeit he was on WWE TV for many, many, many years. See, he's the guy everybody remembers. Yeah, he's a guy that I feel like has was really a big deal um, in the WWE. And who, who I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that were big, like in WCW back in the 80s and 90s. Obviously, Nick Patrick, I mentioned before. Um, Tommy Young was another big one. Who yeah, was there. that's him. But um, we're going to be chatting with the referees of wrestling today. And we're going to find out what their stories are, what got them into wrestling, why did they decide to become a referee, and all of that. So I'm going to first bring in my first guest. And uh, this individual has refereed in a lot of different places. And in fact, this individual is accepting bookings as well. If you'd like to go ahead and get a hold of her, we will let you know. But she's the Costa Rican referee. And she's joining us right now. Let's go ahead and let's bring her in really quickly. Come on in. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, guys. Hello. So we are starting a new segment called Front Row Referee. And I think so many people know the stories of wrestlers, which is great. You know, where they trained, where they came from, who they idolized, who they looked up to. But you know what? The stripes, the person who keeps things in charge, the person who make sure everyone stays upright. And if something happens, make sure that medical attention happens quickly. We want to know what their stories are. So not only are we blessed to have this young, wonderful woman with us, we also have another veteran. We have Jim Molino, ECW. You can find this man just about anywhere. He is about as synonymous with ECW as anyone is um one of the ec dub originals and we have him with us tonight jim how you doing buddy i think we might have you muted here hold on a second let's see hold on one second a little technical difficulty here let's see all right try it again jim i'm not hearing you i'm not hearing him okay so we're going to take a second here and we're going to come back to Jim. Uh, but we also have another referee who's going to be joining us now. And this guy has been in the world of some pretty crazy wrestling as well. And uh, he's worked with H2O Wrestling. And uh, Nick Papa G is also joining us on the show. How you doing, brother? What's up, guys? How are you? We are good. So we got three different referees here. We're going to be able to pick their brains, ask them all the questions that we've always wanted to ask the referee. What have you done? What have you seen? What's the craziest stuff you've ever experienced? And sometimes you find out that the, the audience themselves gets a little rowdy as well. I'm sure they've said some things that have been pretty colorful before that uh, sometimes only the talent uh, actually gets to hear. So we're going to get into some of that as well. Jim, are you with us, buddy? Nope, still working on it. Still working on it. All right. <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about this here. So with everybody who is with us right now, Miss um, Rosario, I'm going to ask you this question. 
what first got you interested in wanting to be in wrestling in general? So mine is a very kind of generic, but really, really cute story. So when I was born, my dad wanted a son. So he didn't get one. He got me instead. So at the age of five, I sat with him and started watching wrestling. And that's what got me into it. Nice. So obviously he got over that pretty quick because he found that he had a child who was just as passionate about wrestling as, as Papa was. And it, it sounds like it's something you guys bonded over. Oh, 100%. I was the only one in the family that bonded with him that way over for wrestling. Nice. Let's go over to, uh, let's go over to Nick here. Nick, I mean, wrestling, when you tell people, hey, man, this is, uh, this is what I do, it's definitely a, uh, a conversation piece, to say the least. I mean, what was the thing that got you hooked into the world of wrestling? What was it, would you say, if you could narrow it down to one thing? I basically grew up with it. Um, you know, I'm an, I'm an 80s kid, and I was born in 81 on there. So, you know, I, I've seen – I grew up in the early 90s, you know, you know, 89, 90, give or take. So, I, you know, I came up with, like, the old cartoonish, you know, type thing. But, you know, both of my grandparents uh, – both of my grandfathers, actually, um, got me into wrestling, and then my dad actually watched it, too. And then, you know, I've been hooked ever since. So, basically, ever since, like, you know, 90, 91, you know, I've – you know, I, I, you know, I, I always watched it, you know, growing up the whole time. And here I am 20-some years later, you know, now doing it as a profession. Isn't it crazy that something that turns into something that either a family member or, you know, a parent, you know, you use it as a bonding experience and all of a sudden, would you ever have imagined, like, like going back in time in the Wayback Machine, that watching this with, with dad uh, – would become something that is now part of my life and it's in my blood and I can't walk away from it. So what, what's your take on that? Can, can you think uh, about. It's still surreal. You know, I've been roughing six, 16 years and stuff like that. I'm like, it's still surreal, you know, do, you know, you know, being in front of a live crowd and I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Oh man, I'm, you know, you know, on TV and stuff like that. And it's, it, it's still, it's still surreal. I'm like, it's still, it's still, you know, I still take it back to it. You know, I'm still humble about, you know, about the whole experience. Uh, Elaine, let me ask you this question. What's your, uh, what's your, what's your take on this now that you're, you've been in it for a while and you're like, Hey, are you, are you still digging it as much as you were on day one? Uh, is it just grown? What's your, what's your thoughts? It's grown. Um, because I started off as actually being a wrestler myself. And then wow. when I transitioned over into being a referee, I think it's where I found my place. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. It's where I found my place in wrestling. Um, I love it more and more every month, year that goes by. I fall harder and harder in love with it. I Even this past weekend doing shows in South Florida, I was like, wow, I really love what I'm doing. It's neat when you're able to find something that not only you're, you're passionate about, but you find out you're pretty damn good at it too. I mean, that that's a great feeling. I think we all look for things that we're interested in and that are our passion. And then we find out we're really good at it. It just kind of makes the whole picture. It makes the whole journey even more uh, worth it. Let me uh, try Jim here again. Jimster, you there, bud? How about that? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Beautiful. Tremendous. I just had to switch to my laptop as opposed to my, or my iPad as opposed to my laptop. So we're good. So the first thing we're actually talking to people and for people who um, who know this brand as well, you know, I worked with Mikey and Jerry for for many years uh, doing the show. We've had Jim on before. He shared some stories about ECW. 
So for those people who might not be super familiar, how did you even get introduced into wrestling? Uh, probably just the same as everybody else watching it with, um, with my dad on, on Saturday afternoon, uh, here where I grew up in the, the Philadelphia market. So I had, you know, WWWF. So I grew up with, you know, Bruno San Martino and, and Tito Santana and all those guys. Um, and that's really the, the intro. I'm sure everybody has their, basically their own, their, their same scenario as a, just, you know, a different location, different promotion. So when it came to, I want to throw this back over to, uh, to Lane. When you decided that you were going to switch and train over to being a referee from a wrestler, what was that process like? So how far were you into um, wrestling before you decided, you know what, I think I want to kind of go into a different direction? Okay, so I had been wrestling at the time for about nine years at the time, 10 years. I had gotten an email to try out for NXT as a referee and did that. And then afterwards, realized how much I actually really loved it and decided to stay with it as of that point and probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Wow. It's interesting because, you know, you think that you have an opportunity and you're excited, right? And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you have another opportunity that presents itself that will take you even further. I mean, very few people on getting that opportunity like that. And it seems like things worked out really well for you. It did because it changed the course of my in career in wrestling and it changed things. I've gotten more opportunity and like I said, have been more fulfilled being a referee than I ever did when I wrestled. Let's go over to, uh, to Papa G. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to refer to everybody. I love, <laughs> let me ask you this, Nick, let me ask you this. Okay. How do you properly pronounce the last name? Just because again, I want to make sure I pronounce things correctly. It's, it's Papa Giorgio. It's actually taken from Vegas vacation on there. So uh, there's your, okay. yeah, now I'm you'd, following be, you'd be surprised at how many people think this is actually my, my legit name. Oh my. Well, I still, I still get it. I actually had, when, when I got married in 2014, I actually had uh, wedding checks actually uh, put addressed to that. And, it, you know, of course, it was on my wife's side. I'm like, I'm, we're going through the checks at like 2 a.m. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, who's this? Oh, it's, just, oh, it's an aunt, aunt and uncle that live out in California. They're like, yeah, they because obviously my Facebook name and, you know, Twitter handle. You know, is, is you know wrestling name and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So we had to get that, uh, you know, mailed uh, mailed back to them and actually get a legitimate check. You know, with my real life name. Wow. So that's gonna be a, a, a great one. Shoot name um, versus ring. That I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, Jim, let me ask you really quickly here. You know, you're in wrestling. You've been doing it for a long time. Seminars and you've trained a lot of successful referees in the business. Um, why did you decide, Hey, you know what? I think this refereeing thing is something I want to do. Well, as, as opposed to the younger people on our panel, <laughs> um, when I got into wrestling, everyone was any wrestler or, you know, who had a name for themselves or made a name for themselves or made, made money in the business was, was six foot five and, and, you know, 298 pounds and jack to the gills. Um, I'm short, fat, balding at the time now completely, but um, there, there's no way I, I would have made it as a wrestler. So um, the opportunity 
I, I, at first I tried to be a manager. I had a, had a gimmick all set up and actually did it in a couple of real, real small shows in, in the area that nobody would have seen. Um, I was, I was extravagant Jimmy fortune Ooh. and I was putting together my, my little, little troop, my, my Heenan family. And I was going to call them uh, the agents of fortune because it, and I got that from blue oyster cult, my all time favorite band. Uh, they had an album, Agents of Fortune, and it just fit. So um, I approached Goodhart and Joel Goodhart, who had the TWA at the time, said, hey, can I come in as a manager? Gave him my spiel. He said, well, we already have Donnie Allen, and we have Woman, and we have Luna Vashon. Really don't need one, but I could use another referee. And gave me his spiel about being a referee and and you know, um, said, you know, get back to me. Um, in a bit, and you know, think about it for a week and get back to me. And I called him back ten minutes later and said, "I'm in." Wow. So, I mean, it's funny because when you hear these stories about how people end up becoming a referee, correct me if I'm wrong. Bobby Heenan was also a wrestler um, prior to him becoming a manager as well. So, it seems like people in the industry do dabble in a lot of things uh, before they end up finding, I guess, what their niche is. When it comes to to wrestling itself, Nick, yeah, let me sure, ask. sure there's a, a path to to wherever you end up through, especially back in the territorial days. If you talk about Bobby Heenan or, or uh, Jim Ross, who was a referee, also, yeah, this you know, is they, true. They, they found their path to to wherever they needed to be. Nick, let me ask you when you uh, when you decide, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do this pro wrestling thing. How does one train or study under or how do you learn the craft of refereeing i mean and this is going to go for everybody but with the craft of refereeing there's a lot to it and i think nowadays you know because the curtain's been pulled back we realize shit the ref has a ton of responsibilities um for safety not only from when make sure no fans get in the ring make sure that the safety of everybody is okay times cues all that kind of stuff um that's got to be a lot, especially when it comes to preparing yourself. So how did a, a referee training program, what's something like that like? Uh, basically, you're going to, you know, you're still going to a legitimate wrestling school. You know, I I started actually, uh, I did my training actually at the uh, CGW Wrestling Academy back in the day. Uh, it was actually when CGW and Chikara were merged together as one school okay. uh, at one point. So, you know, you actually had... Um, uh, a couple of different, various trainers, you know, Bryce Rumsberg was there, Chris Hero, you know, Paulio Castagnoli, you know, people you see on TV, you know, you know, you know, nowadays too. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to actually almost like pinpoint, you know, what all training actually goes like. I'm like, you're still trained to take regular bumps, you know, and stuff like that, just like the wrestlers do, you know, so, you know, you're obviously have to be able to protect yourself too um, on top of that. But, you know, there's also, it's, you know, there's a TV style referee versus any style referees. You know, it's two totally different things, you know, on there. It's, it, it's actually really hard to hard to pinpoint, actually, as far as, like, you know, exact exact training and stuff like that, really. Would you say in a lot of ways it just comes over time and, and experience and, you know, working with people who've been in the industry and, and people like Jim as well that – you know, they've they've been there. They've seen that they've done TV. They've done many shows. It's 
it is sitting under the learning tree and just saying, hey, you know, how do you handle this situation? How do you handle that? You know, it's basically, yeah, you got to get you got to get your reps in. I'm like, I started at at small, you know, small local indie areas. I'm like, you know, I, I grew up in the Philly market, you know, just like Jim. I'm like, I'm actually reverted down to uh, South Jersey right now, you know, is where I'm at now. So, um, you know, I, I, I did everything a little, you know, a little small, little small shows every now and then, you know. You know, especially when you first start, you want to try to get booked, you know, every weekend, you know, and stuff like that. Riding the cars, you know, little, you know, little to no money and stuff like that. You know, it's literally how the business is. I'm like that that part of the business <laughs> isn't going to change, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, that's still going to be low pays and high mileage. Um, oh, yeah. Elaine, let me ask you this. Nowadays, we see a lot more female referees and which is an exciting thing. Um, we're seeing more women get opportunities, which definitely uh, expands the the repertoire for people who can get work, which is great. What's it like, obviously, you know, being in an industry that in a lot of ways is still male dominated? Um, do you feel like uh, you got to hold your own sometimes and, and kind of push back a little bit? Or do you feel like people uh, generally in the locker rooms you've been in are, are pretty respectful and, and everybody's pretty much on the same team? Both, to be honest with you, I hold myself to the same level as anybody else, because at the end of the day, I'm doing my job as a referee and that should not have anything to do with my gender. True. So, and I like to think that I hold myself to a higher level than just being, oh, I'm a woman who's wearing zebra stripes. No, I want to be seen as some of the best. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Let me uh, let me throw this one at you, Jim. A lot of times you hear talent nowadays when they're going to have a match, they request a referee. They say, we want to work with such and such. You know, you've heard so many top talents say, I'm working with with this guy. What's that like and how does that feel when talent specifically requests you to work their big match? Because they I mean, there's always a level of respect and trust um what's that like when you're you're requested you know there's a, a big match coming up and they say you know what we want you to be involved uh it, it's a great honor um it, it's i think it's different now on the independence because you don't work with everybody as often as you would if uh, i'll just you know use my my own experiences with ecw uh, we worked with the same guys week after week so you get to know their their moves their where their positioning things like that um you know their matches what they like for their matches just an example out, outside of ecw tom look at tommy young who was well known for rick flair matches well known for for um midnight express matches you know rock and roll express matches he knew positioning of all, all those guys for those matches i was in the same situation with ecw we we're always working with the same guys over and over and over again um since since my return in the last handful of years uh on the indie scene i really haven't gotten gotten it that much other than people going hey you're really cool if you could do my match so or or if not i'm getting a lot of hey can you watch my match Wow. It's a good feeling to know that you've put your time in. And it's also um, it also makes you wonder where the time went when they say I watched you growing up as well. Yeah. You know, I don't I mean? know if that sometimes I don't know if that's an insult or not. <laughs> <laughs> so 
along with the, the big concept of creating this this additional segment to our show was because I want to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and, and hear some personal stories of the things that you guys have gone through. I mean, you mentioned before all of you have, you know, the miles are long and, and sometimes the pay it isn't always the greatest. We wish it was more, but you do it for the love of it. Um, Nick, let me, let me throw this one at you. When you first started getting into it here, you know, we often say that you have to be, you have to ingratiate yourself in any locker room that you, you come into. And uh, is it the same way with a, a referee coming in, whatnot to a, a locker room that they're not super familiar with that, Hey man, I still got to make sure I do everything that the, the, the talent does and make sure that I introduce myself and whatnot, or is it just kind of understood that, you know what, you're, you're one of the guys and it's just kind of a, a normal thing. No, you, you, you go in any, any locker room, you know, you, you know, you always want to introduce yourself to, you know, to everybody, you know, all the wrestlers, you know, you know, staff, you know, promoters, owners, you know, it's, they gotta be, they gotta be familiar with you too. On top of that, all, you know, also. Um, so it, you basically gotta be treated just like, you know, one of them, you know, in there, just, you gotta, the amount of respect, you know, going in there, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say almost too on top of that on there, but you, you want to be, you know, be respectful, you know, my, you know, Mind your P's and Q's. And like, I, I still to this day find a corner in a locker room and just get dressed there. I don't even know what goes on half the time in the locker room. I I don't bother with any, any of the politics and stuff like that. You know, stay in the corner and be, you know, be to myself, basically. Do you feel like it's your own little fraternity with the referees? Because there's, there's so few, I say so few of you when it comes to like a roster, but like, I would assume that a, a traditional company would probably have, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, maybe five or six. Would you all agree, roughly, maybe a rotating crew, or does that seem kind of light? Uh, that depends on where you go. Like most indie companies will probably house between two to three okay. uh, referees. Uh, if you're going, if you're going to TV or something like that, like obviously you know AEW, you know, you know WWE Impact, you know they're excluded from it. But I'm like you're going to like places like MLW, you know, I've I've had a couple of shots there. You know, we actually had about five to six referees, you know, doing it. But, you know, too, on top of that, you know, MLW tapes like eight weeks of TV in one night. So we're doing like 16 matches. Right. You know, never been to any of the uh, recent MLW shows and stuff like that, though. But, yeah, we use most of the refs usually will keep, you know, we'll keep all together. But, you know, if we're around the same people, you know, on the, in, you know, on the indie level, too, I'm like we, obviously we all travel all over the place, you know, together half the time. So we'll, we'll, I used to just kind of mix into the locker room. You know, you know, besides it in my little corner. Elaine, let me throw this out at you when it comes to, you know, getting to know people and ingratiating yourself and whatnot. Is there anybody right off the bat when you were refereeing in the beginning that you kind of struck up a kinship with or a friendship with? And you're like, you know what? I think we're going to be in this together for the long haul. When I came into it, there wasn't really a lot of refs just starting off at the same time. So you there's a th saying that you go to the people who you want to be like and there was people in my area that whose career i really liked and wanted to be around so i literally just stuck with them and one person i would say that that was that i kind of looked up to because they were local in this area was a referee by the name of frankie gastineau like he was one person that i was just like okay so he's gotten to places I want to work. So I'm going to watch what he does and kind of try to pick him. What would you say, you know, speaking of Frankie, what would you say 
if you could, what were some of the qualities or attributes that Frankie had that you were like, you know what, I like that? Or is was it his style or was it his cadence or, you know, what was there anything that stood out to you that said, man, I really, I'm really drawn to this guy? It was the way he does his count, like the way he does his pacing and his cadence and the way that he carries himself that he comes off very, very professional in that. And it was just something that I could relate to in that sense. I like that. Um, let's go over to Nick. So Nick, I mean, as far as, you know, hanging with the people that you would like to emulate people that you want to sit under their learning tree or people that you really respect their style or the way they carry themselves. Was there anybody that you noticed that you were like, man, you know what, I'm going to make a beeline for this person. And, I'm going to try to soak up as much as I can. Nobody really on the indie level. I'm like, I kind of grew when I was training and stuff like that. I actually watched a lot of uh, Charles Robinson and Mike Kyoto matches. Um, you know, I don't try to mimic any of them by any means. You know, I always just want to, you know, you're always told to be like, you know, I don't want to be like that person. I want to be the first such and such. You know, I want to be the first person to do this. You know, that's kind of what I like to always be. I'm like, I kind of just will. I'll, I'll basically grab a bunch of different, you know, referees. I'm like, even, you know, modern day ones too, on top of them. Like, even though he's, you know, he's an, you know, office guy now, John Cone, you know, he's, an, you know, you know, he's another one on there, you know, guys like, you know, guys like that, you know, they're kind of like the three I will always, you know, kind of just like mimic off of and kind of like steal a lot of their styles and stuff like that and just make it, you know, devise it into my own style. Is it just me as a wrestling fan, but I literally, if somebody were to do a count, one, two, three, I could almost tell you who it was. It, it's just so weird because Nick Patrick has that, I call it the the hingy elbow, one, two, three, and then the and then the point at the end. I mean, that's one thing I always remember him. Earl would have the really long, drawn out, big arm swoops. But then you guys, I want to know if you guys are familiar with this person. His name is Roger Ruffin. And I'm in the Cincinnati area, so he does the NWF, which is a, a really great independent uh, promotion in my area. And I recently found – I put two and two together. He was the one who refed the Bret Hart-Rowdy Piper match, What the Hell, Use the Bell, that was at uh, the Hoosier Dome. Now, if anybody has seen Roger Ruffin referee before, have any of you guys ever seen him ref and him do his three count? Not that I've noticed I've seen the match that you're talking about, though. Okay. The way he was spastic about the way he flipped and contorted his body when he did the three count and with his hair flying, I couldn't help but watch him. I, I really didn't realize Bret Hart was even split open at one point because I was drawn to this guy who literally was just captivating with the way he was refereeing. And it stuck with me from a kid. I mean, the Hoosier Dome, WrestleMania was what? WrestleMania 8. That was forever and a day ago. But is there anything that you have picked up on in modern day wrestling that do you feel like in some ways, sometimes referees, without naming names, try to put on more of a show than just necessarily doing what they do? Are you giving us an open platform to bury people right now? For all <laughs> Again, not naming names, but have you noticed? I mean, I mean, Jim, you're old school. I mean, you've you've been there and you've seen these things, but now as you know, obviously people evolve, the industry evolves, more people are looking to, you know, get my 
get my moment, get my spot. Do you think sometimes people have to be told after they come through the curtain, you might want to bring it down a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, but I could also argue the fact that um, uh, you could come through the curtain and say, hey, act like you're alive. Uh, True. I, I notice a lot of television referees. I'm not going to say one company or the other because I notice it in both that they seem to just kind of stand out of the way until it's time to count three. God forbid you you try to get them to break out of the cor- out of the corner or break off the ropes or give them a 10 count on the floor. Oh, why would you do that? Um, but then there are also times where, as you said, their, their arms are flailing all over the place. They're, they're flying just as, as much as a luchador um, to get to the three count. Um, so, yeah, I, I've seen it both ends. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be too much moderation anymore. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that recently. Um, Actually, Lam- I, I shouldn't use the word moderation. I, I, I want to use the word realism realism okay no i like that that makes sense uh elaine what's your what's your take here i mean you've worked with some people you've seen some people we're not naming any names we're protecting the innocent here uh we're we're blurring out the faces i'm sure you've come across some people who literally you you've thought what in the hell's going on here oh 1000 percent. but i'm literally was just thinking everything jim just said so 100 percent. that's how i feel as well with it is that you either it could go either way where people are too much, too little. It's about ha- finding that happy medium where it looks realistic and you look like you're engaged with what you're doing, and also being authority as well. Oh, good. I like the way you you branch in the authority. I'm going to bring that up next, uh, Nick. Well, I mean, do you feel like you've been around some people who've uh, been pretty straight laced, or do you think sometimes, and it's it's no one's fault. You get caught up in the moment, right? The crowd is excited. You know what you got to do. The whole place is popping for this match. Uh, if you ever talked to somebody afterwards and went, what in the hell was going on? You looked like a kid seeing Santa for the first time. Oh, oh yeah. With, with, with that a doubt, I'm like, you know, I, I was in uh, four years in Jakar, you know, on there. So I, you know, kind of speaks, you know, to it right there. You know, it's, you know, it's basically comic book come alive right there. You know, it's all over. You know, guys were jumping all over the place and this and that. I'm like, you know, I'm always, you know, I always hate, you know, I don't mind comedy spots. I have no problem with any of that stuff. It is like when I, it's when I start seeing referees start doing dives and somersaults over the top. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I draw the line, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, hey, what do we know? <laughs> it's it's funny because there's been many, many matches I've watched in both companies. Um, but I will tell this little short little story here. Uh, Jericho recently had mentioned, uh, I guess he had mentioned it on his podcast and he did an interview that the talent, they need to really respect the authority of the referee. If they do not show that respect level uh, for that, then what's the point, right? What's the point of the role of the ref if it's not going to be appreciated and respected? So when it comes to stuff like that, I often wonder, and, and you guys can jump in on this here, do you feel like the the sentiment about the way talent goes about their matches is the same as it once was maybe 10, 15 years ago? Or do you think it's more, hey, you know what? Forget this whole storytelling thing. I'm going to get my stuff in. Um, what do you feel kind of is the thing, you know, not really focusing on the big the big picture, right? The 
they're really drawing the emotion out of it and all that and instead of just wanting to get spots in. Elaine, what's your what's your take on that? Do you ever feel like, you know what? Why am I even in here? It's just a it's just you getting your shit in, you getting your shit in, and here we go to the end. I think it honestly depends on the talent. If they have respect for what us referees do or if they don't. I have been in the ring with both sides of the coin. People who really utilize us as one, the third person in the ring in communication, and then another person who just doesn't as well, who is in it for themselves within that. Jim, let me ask you this. Um, I, I often keep using this phrase, you've seen a lot, but, but you have. I mean, that's that's the reality of it here. Um do you Almost feel 35 like years worth of stuff. That's, that's a long time. That's a long time. That's Cauliflower Alley Club uh, Hall of Fame worthy right there, my friend. Um, I second that. <laughs> that's a long time. That's paying your dues. That's, you know, and still being in love with it. And uh, so happy that you're still a part of it and that you came back because the business is better for people like you. Um, the one thing I want to ask you is, do you ever feel like some talent – in the in the years past, again, no names seems to uh, to take liberties at times. It's just far as the respect value, the respect factor when it comes to hey, you know what? I'm working your match tonight. Um, I haven't run into that. Um, not even when you know, think of the ECW days when you know I, I wasn't a quote unquote legendary referee or you know had a lot of time in. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think I've ever really run into that problem. I, I find now um, when on the independents that I've, I've been working, a lot of them are like, oh, good, you're doing my match. Then I can do this or that um, or I can have this kind of I can have this style of match where I accentuate their story. I think a lot of guys are are, are taking exception, not, not taking exception, but are, are accepting that. And, you know, I, I just worked. um uh, excite up in, uh, in New York. Yes, a couple a couple of weeks ago, and um, a couple of the guys that I worked with were like, "Oh my God, you're doing our match. That's great. Here's what we, you know, do you think you could be involved with this part of it and just show how you know the authoritar- authoritarian yes, show that you're in charge. <laughs> um, you know, and, and like that's that's great. I love doing stuff like that. It's it's, it's refreshing. I think, you know, showing that a referee is in charge of the ring, not the match, but in charge of the ring, um, is, establishes the the realism of the company instead of making it a joke. No, no, you're right. I mean, w- without that aspect of it, then really what does it become? It becomes two guys out there who are doing their thing, and there's no – it's lawless at that point. Uh, right. Anything goes. Um, Nick, let me let me ask you this: As far as talent in general, uh, especially with the, the companies you've worked with today, do you feel like now that you've been doing this, that you know, wrestlers will actually come up to you and ask you, "Hey, you know what? What do you think if I do this or that?" And actually get your opinion on a match that you're going to be working with them on, or do you basically just say, "Hey, whatever you guys are going to do, how can I help out?" Or how does that conversation go when you find out you're working with somebody? You know, I'll, we'll just go on the, uh, you know, on the uh, run sheet. You know, we'll see what, you know, what we have listed and stuff like that. You know, I usually do like the first, you know, first two matches. I try to, you know, you know, try to get, you know, as far as, you know, talent wise, what we're doing and stuff like that. You know, then once we go from there, I'm like, hey, do you guys have any, you know, big false finishes that you guys, you know, want? 
you guys have on there? I'm like, are there any random manager spots? I can't, you know, I can't see, you know, are we doing, you know, are there any like low blow spots, you know, that I can't see or anything like that, you know? And then, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll actually ask me, I'm like, Hey, we're going to do this, this, and this. I'm like, you know, I'll ask him like, okay, where's my placement going to be? So I can't see this, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of guys and girls don't, you know, they don't realize that they're like, Oh man, we forgot all about that. I'm like, I'll, you know, I have no problem with it. I shoot DQ people. I'm like, I've done it before. It's, you know, it's no, it, it it's no issue on my end. I'm like, the company's always going to back to, you know, a good company will always back the referees, you know, and stuff like that with decisions like that. I'm like, Oh, he did a low blow in front of you. You know, you know, I've had that happen before. I'm like, you know, back in the day where somebody used a chair, you know, in front of me, I didn't DQ them, you know, even though it was CCW, you know, kind of really didn't have any rules. It was kind of a gray area, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. But, you know, it's, I, I have no problem doing, you know, you know, random stuff like that. Just, you know, you know, DQ, doing that stuff in front of me, boom, DQ. I don't care what you guys had planned afterwards. You guys are listening to the newest addition to the Front Row Material brand. It's Front Row Referee, and each and every week we're going to be talking about referees in the industry and getting their opinions on what the current state of the product is, things that, you know what, really should be done differently, some things that we actually like that are being done, and their stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, names will be protected to protect the innocent, but the humor will probably always be there. Um let me also ask you this one. I'm going to stick with you on this one, Nick. You mentioned CZW and obviously Jim working with ECW. Um, fairly aggressive. I mean, not to say that wrestling's not, but weapons and whatnot. Um, any situations where you said to yourself, oh, this is uh, this could get a little dicey tonight. Uh, we might need to get the old Band-Aid bag out. Um, we'll, we'll start off with you, uh, Nick. Any moments where you thought, wow. This is this is the, the the booking tonight here. Let's see how this goes. Oh, any 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 time you got glass involved, you know, you know, paint, you know, if it's a you know painted glass or light tubes, it, it's going to get messy. It's you know, it's no offense or buts about it. I'm like, it, it, it happens. You know, there's there's times where I've seen guys, you know, get you know, you know, one one you know one tube shot to the head, boom, they already they already got color beyond belief, and I'm like, all right, that's a deep cut. Like it's like. You know, why don't you guys rush to go home, please? I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't take any, any, you know, basically it's like, you know, I'm like stopping at right then and there, you know, you know, even, even when I've been in the ring with explosives, you know, that's always a fun one, you know, because then you got to, now you got to figure out, all right, where are they rigged at, you know, and stuff like that, you know, where are they going to be going off at too? There's a couple of times where they're like, oh yeah, well, they're on the, they're on the, um, they're on the ropes. I'm like, well, where? Because I'm usually hugging a corner or somewhere in the middle. You know, is it going to be in the same corner that I am? I'm like, yeah. I was like, I'm not getting blown up. You know, that's, you know, unless you're giving me hazard pay, which isn't going to happen, but, you know, <laughs> you know on there. But yeah, anytime you, anytime you get glass involved, no matter what, it, it's going to get bad <laughs> one, one way or another. We're definitely going to do a, an episode just on uh, crazy moments with weapons and being involved. But I know Jim, you've you've seen a lot. I mean, you you've seen Sabu do some pretty crazy stuff as well. And you know, you've seen probably more concussions than than any other promotion. I mean, it seemed like you know people were getting concussed left and right. And 
uh, Mick Foley said in one DVD, he said he didn't even remember how he got through a match. He, he literally does not remember a thing. When it comes to safety, uh, Nick just talked about it. How do you know as far as a referee when, you know what, this has gone too far, even though the audience is into it? How do you I'm, – I'm assuming you guys have the, the jurisdiction to say, we're done. We're done. You're the, the one supervising the, the mayhem. Um, what's that like trying to determine a decision like that? Um, I guess everybody has the, the same standards as to what they're looking for, especially if someone is knocked out. Um, I'll ask a few questions. Can you see me? <laughs> you know where you are. You know what day it is. You know who you're wrestling. Things like that. Um, and if, you know, you may not get an answer right away, that's why you try to give them a couple of questions. And if they realize where they are, then keep going. If they, if they don't realize I'll let back in the ECW days, I would let, um, someone at the table because we didn't have earpieces at the time, uh, let somebody at the table know who would, who would have communication with someone in the back and tell the, tell the opponent too, Hey, he, he can't go on. Or, or he's he's bleeding out in in some cases in ECW. Um, let let's let's finish this and and get out of here so we can get him in the back. Um, that, it's that's really the way I I always did it. Like I said, we we didn't have the year. I worked um, the the street the premier streaming network a few weeks ago, and that's the first time. That's the third time the two WWE pay per views. Um, that were ECW, and this was the first time that I worked with earpieces. And actually, this is the, this was the first time that it actually worked because with the WWE one, I couldn't; they, they didn't work, and we couldn't communicate back to them. Right, so it's a and, one and, way. Right, and it, it really didn't sound that great. It sounded like a, a bad ham radio transmission from 1932. Wow, wow, uh, Lane. Let me ask you this question: When it comes to you know, trying to be the one who keeps things under control. Um, what, what's your take on any situations you've had where people have, it's been borderline, whether or not, I don't think the lights are all on. What's your, uh, what's your take and what's your rule of thumb, the way you were trained as far as how to look out for certain things? Well, it's the same thing. Like basically what Jim said, it would be to ask questions, you know, like touch and grab their hand, so to speak, and like, see if they can, do you hear me? If you hear me, like grab my hand. Like I'm very old school with that one. With that, also it's knowing the surroundings of it because there was a situation with somebody where I wasn't sure if they were knocked down, and I asked them repeatedly, "Can you hear me? Like, are you there? Do you know where you are?" So it's basically just keeping checking on them to make sure they're coherent to know one where they are, two if they even know where they are within the match. And three, even sometimes, even if they know who their own name is at that point. So, yeah, I had run into one situation like that. Thank God it wasn't that bad, but it was the same thing. You just have to follow the same protocol as far as checking to see if they're okay. Wow. Yeah, refereeing has definitely, um, has definitely, I think, stayed pretty consistent, but I think some nuances have changed. Uh, Nick, what would you say, just in general, uh, since you began to, to now, what has kind of evolved? What has changed, uh, whether it be good or bad, just the way you've noticed things as far as either the perception of the referee, 
the respect of the referee? Or do, would you say, no, all the companies I've worked for, for the most part, things have been pretty consistent? Uh, you know, where I'm at now, based out of H2O and stuff like that, we're pretty we're pretty consistent with everything. I'm like, I have communication in the back and vice versa, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that really hasn't, hasn't changed. I'm like, you know what Lane said before with, you know, you know, people with respect, you know, you know, you're going to find, you're, you'll find, you know, some place you go to that where they don't, you know, they don't respect the referees. It might, they just want to get their stuff in and, you know, and call it a day, you know, and stuff like that. But anything else, Roy, I'm like, every, everything else has been pretty, you know, pretty consistent. I'm like, you know, some companies give a lot, you know, give the referees a lot more power to, you know, to do stuff versus, you know, some were like, you know, you're only in there to count to three, you know, stuff like that. You know, I, I've worked for companies like that. They're like, we don't want you doing anything else. To like, but, you know, let the, uh, let the men and women do what, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, in the ring and just, just do what they do. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, but other, other than that, I'm like everything else has been, you know, is, you know, it's pretty, pretty much the same, really. I remember watching, uh, early, early wrestling, uh, it used to be, the uh, the blue shirt, well, not even the blue shirt. Sometimes, I mean, if you go back to the old MSG network, it was uh, it was almost like they were dressed to go to the office. Uh, you know, the white shirt that was short sleeve, and then the bow tie, and it seemed like it switched to the blue shirt. And Jim, or anybody for that matter, has anybody ever heard how it officially ended up becoming the stripes? No, I, I never have. Uh, I mean, WWWF was always the the short sleeve blue shirt with the with the bow tie. Um, there, if you look back at some old NWA stuff and, and like Mid Atlantic and and Mid South from like the the late seventies, early eighties, the guys were wearing jumpsuits. Yes, <laughs> they were. You know, it looked like they were. Uh, I'll really age myself here. They looked like Jack Lane. He used to do a. <laughs> he used to do an exercise show at the at, Guru. Uh, yes. On, yeah, going on the mornings for, for on television, and he wore like a this jumpsuit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, I I don't know why it's why it developed to where it is now. Everybody or, or a lot of companies have their own logos and their own style shirts. Some independents, because a lot of independents, you know, have various levels of television so sometimes they have their own shirt sometimes it's, it's just a plain black um, polo shirt nick let me ask you this one uh has your uniform evolved changed or pretty much stayed the same uh obviously coming up with czw and then h2o uh, i think at one point i actually have about five different ref shirts in you know at one at one point you know, you know, Jakar would have their own polo and they would change theirs like every year, almost to a certain extent. You know, you know, CCW, when I was there, uh, we had just a regular black polo with the logo on the, on the left. You know, H2O were the same way. We had the logo on the left. Um, if I'm working for a generic IWTV um, uh, show, IWTV's got their own, you know, referee shirts and stuff like that. So, yeah, in, in my closet, I probably have about, you know, about five, six, seven different shirts, you know, right now, you know, stuff like that. So right now I only kind of rotate with uh, with three different ones, you know, luckily two, uh, two black polo shirts and then the random stripes. Nice. Uh, the, uh, the lady on the panel here. So let me ask you this. 
when it comes to the attire itself, you notice any changes or for the most part, have you always kind of stayed pretty consistent with, uh, with your ring attire, depending on whatever company you're working for? Do you have your own or is it always specialized like the other guys have said to whatever the promotion is? I've had it with both. I have regular guys fit referee shirts. I have shirts that I have tailored to look more form fitted because I am female. And I think it's just the same, to be honest with you. It depends on the company that you work for. This past weekend, I got a shirt from the company that I worked for that had their logo on the stripes. There's so many things we're going to get into with this. Uh, Actually, you know what? Let me jump in real quick. I think ECW might be responsible for that because we started (laughs) with just just the black and white stripe that we did for, for regular house shows. And when we did TV, we had the red and black stripe polo with the ECW logo on it. And then they tried they tried getting us to get different shirts for every pay-per-view. If you look at November to remember from um, from Louisiana, we were wearing purple, yellow, and white <laughs> shirt. And then they tried, a, it was a half red, half black at an angle shirt. We tried that for a while. So I, I think we kind of, that was kind of our fault. That was actually... Um, marketing's fault, uh, t-shirt people, because they would say, hey, we're going to give you a new, new shirt, new look, and uh, we need $45 from you to, to pay for it. Oh, wow. So not only were they <laughs> they going to give you a new look, but you had, to, you had to pay for your new look. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Now, is that the same, Nick? Do you, you got to pay for it, or is it just, uh, hey, you know what? You're a good man. We're going to give it to you, or do you still have to pony up a little? Uh, it, it really depends on where you're at. I'm like, you know, with the you know, with H2O, I'm like, there's, there's one, there's a t-shirt place actually right down the road from us on there. I'd actually give them like, yeah, here's our logo. You know, I need about, you know, I need X amount of sizes, you know, on there. And I'll, I'll give them the receipt. I'm like, yeah, here you go. I'll, I'll front the money, whatever, you know, if I have to every now and then. Here's a receipt. Next show, it's in my pay. You know, it's taken care of. Uh, never never you have to worry about that stuff, luckily. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, on future episodes, we're going to be talking about referees. How do they feel about taking bumps when they're asked? Uh, I know that's going to be a topic that uh, our panel is going to definitely jump into as well. Um, referees obviously getting manhandled as well. That's another topic I want to get into as well with what's happening. Crowds. You guys ever had some colorful things yelled at you? I'm sure you probably have. We're going to, I see the heads nodding. We're going to save that. We're going to save that uh, for another episode so we can hear some of those stories. Tales from the car. Who rode with who? Who ended up at the Waffle House? And God, how did the police get involved? Love to hear some of those stories as well. Um, Let's go ahead and let's do a little plugging here. So before we get going here, where people can find you, where people can find you to get a hold of you for bookings, for appearances, for the next shows you're going to be at. So let's go ahead and let's start off with Miss Elaine here. Uh, What are all your details as far as social media and the whole nine yards? Well, I am the same handle on both Instagram and Twitter. It's Latina Ref Lane, and Lane is spelled L-A-Y-N-E. So that's where I'm at when it comes to social media. Perfect. And if people want to get a hold of you, what is the best way? Just through Twitter and Instagram? Yes, definitely. I think those pretty consistently, yeah. Nice. 
Let's go over to uh, to Nick. What is the best way people can follow you on social media? Where can they get a hold of you? And as far as any upcoming shows that are coming up, uh, fa- Facebook is uh, just facebook.com, um, you know, slash Nick Papa Giorgio. Uh, uh, Twitter, you know, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, uh, is actually just uh, at, at ref Nick Papa G. You can, you know, DM me, you know, on Twitter. Uh, you can, you know, send me, you know, send me a Facebook message. You know, on there, everything's all open and active and stuff like that. So, uh, upcoming shows, you know, I got one actually this Saturday in uh, Williamstown, New Jersey, actually, Jim's old building uh, on there, which is actually kind of the, the house of uh, all of South Jersey wrestling nowadays. Um, <laughs> on there is, that, is a, a Bloodstorm Pro, which is, um, you know, it's going to be uh, 8 p.m. It's actually live on uh, IWTV. Nice. On there. Uh, actually, also, too, uh, just started last night. Um, is uh, Uncharted Territory with uh, H2O actually on uh, IWTV every Monday at uh, 8 p.m. You can actually catch last night's show, uh, which is actually uh, already on demand on uh, IWTV.com, too, on top of that. So, yeah, the uh, Uncharted Territory is actually in season five now we're doing. Wow. Um, it's actually, uh, I believe it's over on uh, December eight, uh, 18th, I believe, on or so. You know, every Monday, you know, uh, 8 p.m., you, know, you can catch that. And Mr. Molino, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Any upcoming shows, seminars, the whole nine yards? The floor is yours. Uh, I am at Twitter or X at, at Jim Molino, M O L I N E A U X. Uh, same face for Facebook, uh, which I'm, I'm new to. Um, so you can DM me or message me on either one of those to, to book me or or not to annoy me, but, you know, book me, <laughs> please. Um, coming up um, the 17th, I'm in West Milford, New Jersey with the ISPW. Um, the 18th, I am at in Dover, Delaware at the Blue Hen Comic Convention Ooh. Um, signing autographs all day. And on the 25th, I'm in uh, at Coastal Championship Wrestling, not the one in Florida. There's a Coastal Championship Wrestling in New Jersey, and they are in Sterling, New Jersey uh, that night. And as of now, that's it for the year. Nice. So far, but there's still there's still more dates to uh, potentially book. Still, Am I correct? Still willing to take some. Nice. Um, I actually talked to our good buddy Mikey Whipwreck uh, last night, and there's something called the big event that's going to be happening. Uh, it's going to be, I want to say it's in New Jersey, if I'm correct. Um, no, I think it's in New York. Up New near, York. Up it's in New York, Florida. okay. So there's going to be some, uh, I think he said he's going to be sitting uh, at a table with Sandman, so that should be very entertaining as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like things are going to get a little... A little on the crazy side. Um, but, yeah, definitely check that out. Check out ECW uh, Legends that are going to be there as well. Big events. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and promote that as well. Um, this has been fun so far. So for our listeners, you've gotten to just get a little taste of the personalities that are going to be behind the stories here on Front Row Referee. Uh, Butster, come on on here, buddy. So I'm still here. I know it's it's a full fledged week so far. I do appreciate it. Uh, tell everybody the details of the upcoming toy show and what's going to be happening and where and where can people get tickets. 
Uh, November 18th and 19th, CFB Kingston, Thompson Drill Hall, Mr. Holiday Market. Uh, it's $3 to get in. Uh, all proceeds go to the Military Veterans Program. Uh, Linda and I will have our toys there, and we're donating, once again, 20% to the Military Veterans of all sales. Uh, come out and see us. And then we have another show on December 2nd and 3rd, McKinnon Brothers Brewery in Bath, Ontario. Uh, $10 to get in. All proceeds go to the food bank. Uh, it's a fairly big brewery in this area. All local guys own it and run it. Here is fantastic. It's always cold. Uh, right now they have 60 vendors for each day. Uh, we'll be donating 20% of sales at that one to Autism Awareness. And then December 9th and 10th, we're at the Tet Center, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. And we'll be donating 20% of our sales to... I don't know. My wife does, though. She takes care of all that. I just make toys. This man, as we've said before, you guys, is the modern-day Santa. I'm not saying that because we're, we're truly good friends. I'm saying that because I've seen how hard this man works. And Buster, truly, truly... Uh, proud of you for, for all that you do, my friend. So keep it up. Keep putting smiles on those kids' faces, my friend. That's right. All right. So for the entire panel, that's going to do it for episode one. Don't go anywhere. Next week, we're going to be having more, more names, more faces, and more stories. But with that being said, I am Mike Freeland. I will catch you guys on the next episode of the Front Row Material Break.